This week on Geek Explained, with one of the darkest weeks in the company's history behind them, and a huge event ahead, we're taking a look at the state of DC Comics and the things I'm most excited to see at DC Fandom. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all things DC Comics. Um, I think it would be an understatement to say that DC Comics has had a pretty newsworthy month in the month of August. We have DC Fandom coming out this weekend, as of this recording, basically on the heels of one of the darkest periods of the company's history, at least in modern history and in recent memory. Uh, Last Monday has been called Black Monday. It's been called a bloodbath. It was a huge shakeup with Warner Media, and that kind of trickled down into DC Comics. So we're going to be covering all of that, as well as some of the most exciting stuff that's going to come out at DC Fandom and stuff that I cannot wait to get more information about. We also have the return of the Wildcard Weekly Review with a review of something that I'm pretty freaking excited about, not going to lie. And of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so we got some news for you this week. Of course, our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And for once, we've got news in every single category. So we're going to start off with the film news. I'm actually pretty excited about this. Uh, We now know that Captain Marvel 2, which is still on the slate for Marvel Films coming up, now has a director. And not only... Do they have a director? But they have a pretty awesome director. Uh, Nia DaCosta, or DaCosta, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. I probably mispronounced it, and I apologize. Uh, has been named to direct Captain Marvel 2. I think this is awesome. Nia DaCosta is also currently directing the uh, the Candyman reboot that has uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen in it. I just... She's awesome. She's going to bring such a great voice to this sequel, and I cannot wait to see what she does with it. It's 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 really exciting. I'm really happy about that. And just kind of like making sure that like this, you know, having Marvel uh have a female director helming one of their biggest female properties, I think it's just, it's a win all around. And like I said, it's Nia DaCosta is an awesome director, so she's going to kill it. Moving on to TV news, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which seems like it's been going on for, you know, four decades, uh, finally comes to an end. Uh, the, the show ended, I think, this past week. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little bittersweet. This, this kind of, like, marks the end of the uh, TV era of Marvel, at least until Disney Plus starts to get underway. And uh, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, you know, it struggled to find its place for a little while. It was kind of like uh, Marvel's Gotham, or I guess Gotham was DC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., however you want to say it. Um, 
But I think honestly, you know, it, it did put its stamp on there. It took a lot of characters that may have not gotten the shine or the spotlight in film or anything like that and really like gave them a chance to, you know, be on display. It also breathes uh, new life, both uh, literally and uh, metaphorically, into the Agent Coulson character. Uh, Clark Gregg's awesome. I actually met him once while uh, while serving in, um, in Pasadena, and I'm just... I'm really sad to see it go, but at the same time, um, it kind of feels like we're moving away from the original, like, uh, Infinity Saga and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of fittingly is definitely part of that. It ties into a lot of that. So this does seem kind of like a clean break for uh, the next phase of Marvel to go up and onward. And with all these shows kind of coming on to... uh, uh, Disney Plus now, we might see another Marvel TV renaissance. You never know. Uh, also, uh, in, I would say, less good news, um, the Netflix Avatar live-action adaptation has officially lost the series creators. Uh, I think it was two years ago they were brought on to the project to basically helm it, and we were all really excited because the both of them were axed from being able to help out with the uh, Shyamalan adaptation, and we saw how well that went. But having them on the project got a lot of us, myself included, really, really excited. So to hear that like they're now off of it, and they've kind of been very public about <laughs> the reasons that they are off the project, basically citing that Netflix wanted to go in a different direction, they wanted to age up the cast, they want to introduce more like sex and blood and they basically want to give uh give avatar the riverdale treatment which i am 100 percent against um it's you know it is what it is they basically said that they had a certain vision for it and they were told by netflix that that vision would be upheld and netflix apparently has reneged on that offer so it's unfortunate um i don't think this bodes well for that adaptation especially since they are moving on without them um but i guess we'll just have to see in more exciting news though uh the boys is coming out this uh Season two is coming out in two weeks, I think, uh, beginning of September, and we're already getting some news for season three. Uh, We have rumors that um, a certain special uh, bloody bat-wielding guy from The Walking Dead might be joining the cast, but for real, we now know that Jensen Ackles of Supernatural fame uh, will be joining the cast in Season 3 as Soldier Boy. If you know anything about uh, the boys, Soldier Boy is an interesting character. Um, He is like how... um, how a lot of these characters are kind of parodies of DC and Marvel characters. Soldier Boy is pretty much the parody of Captain America. So I think that's really cool. I'm glad that Jensen Ackles is getting work uh, following the end of Supernatural, which I think is ending any day now. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see what he brings to the character. It should be really fun. In comics news, uh, we have a new Wolverine book that has been announced. It's called Wolverine White... or sorry, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood. Um, If that sounds strangely familiar to you, it might be because DC recently released a book called Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red. Uh, And this seems to be blatantly ripping that off without, like, crediting DC, which is just classic, classic uh, comic book war company tactics. Um, But basically what this book is, is 
again, just kind of a blatant ripoff of Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red, because this is going to be an anthology book. Every issue will be written by written and drawn by a different creative team. Uh, they've got some all-star talent on this. They've got Donny Cates. They've got Chip Zdarsky. They've got uh, Matthew Rosenberg. They've also got Declan Shalvey. Um, a lot of great names on this. So this should be a cool... Um, episodic style uh, book so it's interesting I don't know if I am going to be picking it up but I might pick it up and trade so if you are down for more Wolverine definitely keep an eye out for this I believe it's coming out in September or November one of those months um, and then we're going to move on finally to miscellaneous news uh, pretty much for the most part lots of video game news uh, first off WB Games Montreal has been teasing some stuff for uh, their upcoming game, we do know that they have been working on a Batman game. We know that they have been teasing that it's going to be involving the Court of Owls. And this week, they dropped some teasers uh, featuring the Twitter account Redacted, just with the E's replaced as threes. So if you want to go check out updates on that, um, check that out. Uh, it's at redacted with the E's replaced with threes and they are going through some stuff. They're dropping some hints, uh, basically going through like the, um, uh, the AR gaming marketing system where they're having, um, people putting codes to a website that unlocks different teases about the game. So it's exciting. I like that stuff. It might be a little hackneyed, because, like, people are impatient, and they've been waiting for a while for this game. But I think it's cool. I'm excited for it. It should be fun. Um, also, Suicide Squad has officially, the Rocksteady Suicide Squad game officially has a title. It was revealed basically by accident, because they um, they bought a, a domain name ahead of DC Fandom. Uh, and it's Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which kind of, for me, um, it, I mean, obviously pretty much shudders my theory about that Superman tease being about Bizarro, but um, I think it's interesting. Super Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League sounds really, um, it's flashy, and it just, it throws up, you know, exactly what it wants to do right away, so I'm interested to learn more about it at DC Fandom this weekend. Uh, also, Ghost of Tsushima is a game that I have been um, obsessed with since it came out. And you might hear more about it later on in this episode. You never know. Um, but Ghost of Tsushima, Sucker Punch announced that Ghost of Tsushima is going to be getting multiplayer. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not sure. Um, I think... And I'll, and I'll probably talk about it a little later, maybe. Um, but Ghost of Tsushima is a game that I really think was tailored for a single-player experience. So I'm interested to see what they do with this. It looks like it's going to be four-player co-op going through... Um, legends and some of the inspirations behind the mythic tales that we play through in that game i'm i mean i'm down for most more ghost of tsushima and the little reveal trailer that they dropped looked really interesting as well so we'll see we'll see uh when we get some more gameplay i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what they do and then finally this weekend the big event that they have been talking about all year it's dc fandom is going to be dropping this uh saturday to sunday it's a full 24 hour experience i believe from like 9 30 
uh, a.m. on Saturday to 9.30 a.m. on Sunday. I might have my times mixed up, but we'll, um, I'm just going to say that for now. But um, yeah, so if you have been waiting with bated breath to learn more about DC Fandom, this is definitely your time. Um, and that I think that kind of leads into our main course for this episode, the entree, if you will, which kind of involves DC Fandom as well as some of the recent events when it comes to DC Comics in general. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to move right on into that main segment as we check in with the state of DC Comics. I think we can agree, I think all of us collectively can agree that 2020 has been a weird year with a global pandemic going on, uh, the U.S. elections just doing what they always do, and everything kind of being thrown into a blender and then just shot off into the ceiling. Um, 2020 has been a grab bag of different experiences for pretty much everybody, and I don't think a stranger time has been had by any company in 2020 than with DC Comics. DC has had a wild ride, so to speak, not just from this year, but from the past decade. And with everything going on at DC, a huge, just um, terrible event happening last week, Paired up with what's supposed to be a really exciting event this coming weekend, uh, DC is in a weird place. So I thought it would be good to just kind of take stock of everything, do kind of a state of the union for DC Comics, check in with what's been going on, uh, where the company is at, and kind of look forward to see where maybe they might go. But first, with everything going on, I think it would be good to kind of catch everyone up on how we got here. Uh, to this point here in uh, mid-August of 2020, I think it's good to give everyone the history, catch everybody up before we talk about last week and then this weekend. So I think everything kind of kicked off at the beginning of the last decade. The beginning of the 2010s was a very interesting time for DC Comics. Uh, they had just made the bold decision to turn what was supposed to be an event for the Flash comics into a company-wide reboot, taking... Flashpoint and spinning that out into the new 52. This was a huge, you know, monstrous ordeal where they canceled pretty much every single comic and rolled out 52 
brand new comics in 2011. It was a huge risk, a huge gamble. In certain aspects, it paid off. In a lot of aspects, it didn't really pay off. And it kind of divided the comics community for a good long while. Um, Throughout the first half of the 2010s, a lot of people, myself included, would be getting into heated discussions. Uh, we called them arguments back in the day, where um, you would just kind of have to make your case on whether the New 52 was a good thing or not. You know, why characters who had all of these decades of history behind them were suddenly robbed of that in an effort to bring in new readers and whether it was you know new readers versus veteran readers or longtime fans versus publishers it was a whole uh mess of things and then in 2016 something happened um dc kind of spearheaded by jeff johns rolled out the dc rebirth initiative which at its core, was supposed to bring back a lot of the legacy, a lot of the history, a lot of the continuity that had been lost with the New 52 and kind of inject it back into this brand new world. It wasn't going to be a hard reboot like the New 52. It wasn't going to be a, hey, that was a crazy five years. Let's go back to the old continuity. It was like a mishmash putting them together of uh, the New 52 slash pre-Flashpoint uh, eras, and they were kind of just trying to throw everything they could against a wall and see what stuck. Also, alongside this, the DCEU was in high gear. They had just rolled out both Man of Steel in 2013, and were getting ready to drop not one, but two huge films with Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman, and then the ensuing Justice League on its way as well. Uh, alongside that, DC was also making waves with the Arkham series. Batman was kind of ruling the world with um, not just comic sales and movies, but also in video games. Rocksteady produced a killer trilogy, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight, and was also followed up by WB Montreal's um, Arkham Origins, and they were kind of the gold standard when it came to comic book video games. And on top of all of that, the Arrowverse was starting to kick into high gear as well. Um, it had started off with just Arrow way back when, way back in the far-flung past of 2011-2012, and it had kind of boomed just like really, I mean, the multiverse in general when it comes to DC Comics, into this franchise of TV shows dubbed the CW-verse, the Arrowverse, whatever you want to call it, uh, with shows like The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, um, Batwoman, Black Lightning. All of these shows were just firing on all cylinders. And in 2016, everything kind of looked like it was heading DC's way. Uh, they were also getting ready to announce DC Universe. This was the first ever big streaming service for a comic book publisher, beating Marvel out by a good few years because Marvel didn't end up jumping, you know, kind of feet first into a streaming service until Disney Plus this past year. And DC seemed to be riding at an all-time high. And then things started to go wrong. 
Uh, DC Rebirth, while being really exciting for about a year and a half, lost steam as it rolled into 2018, and a lot of the goals for DC Rebirth didn't really get accomplished. We got some great comics runs. Um, the Tomasi Gleason Superman run comes to mind for me. That's something that's near and dear to my heart. But DC Rebirth was starting to get lost in the shuffle due to delays with stuff like Doomsday Clock, um, shifting editorial, and all of these weird creative team changes that didn't really seem to feed into the directive of DC Rebirth. Alongside that, the DCEU was struggling as well. Uh, the just total collapse of Justice League really put a sour taste in the mouths of DC film viewers. So that films like Shazam, films like um, uh, Suicide Squad, films like all of these... Uh, DC films that they had had really high hopes for and that they had had on this big, you know, 10-year plan slate were starting to fall apart or underperform at the box office. And it was putting a lot of pressure on not just DC Comics, but its parent company, Warner Media, to try and figure out what they were doing wrong and how they could fix those problems. Uh, the Arkham games eventually ended uh, we are still waiting for the very next uh, Batman video game, which, as we talked about in this episode, and we will talk about a little bit again later, um, we haven't gotten another Batman game since Arkham Knight. And while a lot of people have kind of shifted their gaze to Marvel with their video games when it comes to uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, we're talking Spider-Man, one of my personal favorites, and then the upcoming Avengers game as well. DC games have been kind of quiet. So that has, I think, also negatively affected the company as a whole. And then finally with the TV universe, the TV universe, I would say, arguably is at one of its strongest points. Um, even though Arrow has officially ended and now we are kind of in the next generation of the DC shows, it really feels like DC in the past like five years was really trying to find its footing from all of the setbacks that it was getting. And then we get to last Monday as of this recording, 8-10-20, August 10th, 2020 will be known as the DC bloodbath for God, probably uh, until the end of time, I would say. Um, there was a huge push when the new Warner Media CEO, Jason Kalar, came in in May, uh, that he was going to restructure the company and all of its subsidiaries, which included DC Comics and DC Entertainment. And we saw the effects of this on that fateful morning, because that morning, uh, right around, you know, we don't have exact numbers, but it's been estimated that up to and at least 800 Warner Brothers employees were axed. Um, and that's just from Warner Media alone. All of its um, other companies that were under that Warner Media umbrella also felt the burn of that, including DC Comics. I'm going to go through a quick list of kind of the um, editorial and managerial people who were just fired with no. Um, no warning, no big uh, 
send-off just kind of unceremoniously kicked from DC Comics. Uh, the biggest name, and the one I think that a lot of people were surprised by, was Bob Harris. Bob Harris was editor-in-chief at DC Comics, and we can get into all of the super unsavory things about Bob Harris at another time, but I think with a lot of people, they were surprised that someone who had had the position as long as he had, and had had done it pretty much as competently as anyone in the past 10 years could do it was part of this complete just uh, scorched earth approach when it came to DC's managerial um, offices. We also had Hank Canals, uh, Senior VP of Publishing Strategy, Jonah Wayland, a v- uh, VP of Marketing, Bobby Chase, VP of Global Publishing Initiatives, uh, Sandy Resnick, International Publishing and Ad Sales, Sarah Haskell, Marketing Director, uh, Michael Schelling, Publishing Director, Jim Sokolowski, which a lot of people were really surprised about as well, uh, who was head of comic book specialty and newsstand sales. Um, even Jim Lee's executive assistant, Eddie Choi, was not spared. But the big three names that were I think the kind of did the biggest impact right next to Bob Harris were um, Brian Cunningham, Mark Doyle, and Andy Corey. Uh, Brian Cunningham has overseen lots of the DC universe for a good while now. And so him kind of being kicked out was a huge shock. Uh, similarly, Mark Doyle has been the head of DC Black Label, which has been, I think varying degrees of successful uh so far he was kind of the guy who really was heading up that whole initiative and so this really throws into um into doubt the future of that line the one that was the most personal for me though was andy corey andy corey has been a voice for the voiceless in that company for a really long time uh helping to advocate for books that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day Uh, a couple that come to mind wonder woman dead earth and one of my personal favorites uh in dc comics currently being published far sector um, we already saw, and we talked about it before, that Far Sector is now shifting to a bi-monthly schedule, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that these two announcements are fairly uh, close to each other. Andy Corey was a friend and a um, and a I would say a cheerleader for a lot of the um, a lot of the staff over at DC Comics, and so that one really hurt a lot of people myself included i've never met the guy but like i know how much of an influence he has had on that company when it comes to their publishing and it's it's a loss that's going to be felt for a good long while uh but it wasn't just the uh comics that got hit uh dc direct which has been in charge of figures statues all kinds of different memorabilia for dc comics was shuttered just shut down Um, over two decades of doing their job of just getting to the direct market and to consumers like you and me um, just the best kind of DC collectibles that you could ask for uh, is gone it's just gone Um, I'm not I don't know what the reasoning is behind that I've done as much research as I think I can and I just I I don't know I don't know why it's gone I don't know why they chose to do that maybe it's uh, when it comes to 
uh, sales. Maybe it's they wanted to go with a different um, licensee. I'm not sure. But um, this one really, really hurt me for sure. I have DC Direct um, statues in my home. I love DC Direct. And DC Direct was putting out uh, stuff that you would never be able to get from another licensee. So that really hurt. And then another big casualty, which is sad to uh, to think about, is DC Universe. DC Universe had the majority of its staff cut as well. Uh, the names that I read off are only a fraction of the names that of the employees that were cut on Monday, um, last Monday, and it. You know, we're not, I don't think we'll know for, for a while how many people actually lost their jobs. But a lot of people are saying, it, uh, like, conservative estimates are saying, like, right around a third. And that's scary and really sad, especially because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Like, it's going to be incredibly tough for these people to find, um, to get back on their feet. And it's really, it's sad and it's d- disappointing. Um DC Universe has been kind of on the ropes for the last year. They've kind of watched, and we've all watched, as everything that made DC Universe unique when it came to um, original content was either canceled, uh, pulled onto HBO Max, or pulled onto the CW. And with the last vestige of... Uh, DC Universe, that being Titans, as the very last uh, DC Universe original that is just on that platform, I think we're going to see very quickly that if there is a season three, that is going to get moved over to HBO Max as well, which is, it's unfortunate. Um, There was a big push, and it was a really exciting time when Stargirl was announced, because they made it very clear that this was going to be on both the CW and DC Universe, that it would be on DC Universe first, and then it would, um, I think, either same day or next day would show up on uh, the CW. But with Season 2, with Season 1 all wrapped up, Season 2 is going to be moving exclusively to the CW, which means that everything that the DC Universe was kind of touting as this one-stop shop for all things DC really doesn't apply to DC Universe anymore. I think for its comics library alone, that is probably where they're going to start to move towards. But it really is a shame because it seemed really exciting when it was first announced. I've been on DC Universe for a while now. They don't they don't sponsor this podcast, but they totally could sponsor this podcast, but I don't even know if they'll be able to sponsor this podcast with the amount of money that they're losing. So I, I'm really, um, I was shocked. A lot of people were. And it kind of begged the question, like, after something like this happens, after like a seismic shakeup for DC Comics, where do they go from here? Um, And a big part of that was what happens to Jim Lee. We saw the departure of uh, Dan Didio earlier this year. Um, I I think that was pre-pandemic. I can't remember because time just bleeds together now. But I believe that Dan Didio left earlier this year, right around probably like February. Um, And it's been kind of spread around by different sources that this... Uh, this shakeup has been in the works for a little while now. So it's 
I think there is possibly a story where um, you could see that Dan Didio kind of saw the writing on the wall and decided to get out while he could. But the leadership that DC has really stuck to over the past decade has been Didio as well as Jim Lee. And Jim Lee, a lot of people were questioning what's going to happen with him now. Uh, there were reports that he has been ousted as publisher. Um, there were reports that he he was part of the cuts as well. But after you know everything kind of died down from the from the initial shock, uh, Jim Lee is remaining at his position. But instead of being um, uh, lead publisher for the company, he's now stepping into a CCO role. And he is going to be focusing on uh, the creative side and less on the business side. So he is still in charge of publishing, but more on a creative and story basis now. And his spot is kind of being held up for grabs, so to speak. Uh, two names have been put forward as possible replacements for both Bob Harris and Jim Lee's duties in the company. And that is Marie Javins and Michelle Wells. They have been recently named interim editors-in-chief as kind of a, a duo, a package deal here. And if you don't recognize those names, that's okay, because that was the first time I had heard of these names as well when they were announced. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, Marie Javins is, uh, was currently the I don't know if she still is, but she was the head of digital strategy. So she had a lot in terms of digital content, digital first comics, um, DC Universe content. So she kind of had her hand in a lot of different cookie jars. And then Michelle Wells was kind of the head of the young adult imprint. So all of these um, uh, kind of younger, uh, young adult graphic novels that were coming out, um, by like Kimmy Garcia and uh, Gabriel Piccolo, like all of those, um, all of those books is kind of what she was in charge of. She was in charge of that imprint and that line. So it's really interesting that the two of them were brought in as you know people who, I guess you know the workload is going to be split between the two of them. And I can only assume that this means that DC is going to be putting more emphasis and more focus on both digital as well as the young adult line and we'll get into that in a second but uh, another name who was also elevated in the company nancy spears who was the vp of sales has also kind of risen up in the ranks as well so those are kind of the beneficiaries of all this and i know this is getting very technical and very business 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 but um, this is kind of important information to know going forward so that when the rest of the DC changes come uh, throughout the rest of the year, and trust me, they will be coming, um, you can kind of have like a roadmap to see, okay, this is why this happened, this is where this person went. Um, it's also been kind of talked about, Jim Lee did a couple interviews about how following this restructure, they have kind of a two-year plan in place where they are going to um, sh kind of shift their focus into a mass market production strategy, so trying to reach as many um as many markets as possible. And one way that they're doing this is they're gonna be uh looking to partner up with Walmart to get comics back into Walmart, which I think on one hand is really good, but also at the same time, the Walmart books never really sold very well. Um, you can see in recent years with the big, you know, giant books at Walmart, they just, 
they ordered so few of them that when, you know, you would try to go get them, it was kind of a first come, first serve kind of deal. And they're also doing something that I think is really weird. I tried to, like, dive into this deeper, but I couldn't really find anything. Um, they're going to be focusing on uh, licensing of titles. Now, this can be with either characters or with specific titles, like Batman and the Outsiders versus just Batman as a character. But editors are now, who were in charge of licensing, are now going to be shifting into brand manager roles. And that feels very corporate to me. I don't know about you, but it feels very strange to go from editors of licensing to being brand managers. Um, it feels very social media to me. And like I said, I'm not, you know, I don't have a business degree, so I'm not sure what all of these terms mean, but I, I'm i wary of them. And that is, uh, that is something that I can kind of... Uh, get my feet under me for. Uh, it looks like they're going to be focusing on digital serialization and uh, original graphic novels. So stuff like Green Lantern Earth 1, um, a lot of the digital first stuff like we saw with uh, Injustice Year Zero, uh, DC Hope at World, Deceased Hope at World's End, that kind of thing. There's going to be a lot of focus when it comes to digital. And th they've been kind of rumoring this for like at least a year now. Um, that DC is starting to lean more towards digital rather than direct market, which is hard copy, for their uh, for their products. And as someone who enjoys having the hard copy of stuff, that makes me a little worried. Um, they've openly stated that the direct market, which does include local comic book shops, uh, is not a focus for them anymore. They're shifting away from that to focus on digital and um, original graphic novels. So we are going to see some big changes when it comes to their publishing line. Um, DC is also going to be bringing in a quote-unquote, I'm using quotations here, uh, general manager of sorts to kind of run the business side that Jim Lee was doing. Uh, and he is going to be, I don't know if he's going to be kind of um, in charge of DC alongside Jim Lee, or maybe Jim Lee will answer to him. Either way, they both answer to um, the president of Warner Media. So I'm not sure exactly what the general manager is being brought in to do, but we don't have one named, they've stated at this point anyway. Um, they've stated that that person will be uh, brought on to, brought into the fold in September, so we'll get more news about that then. Um, but it does, and this, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. Um, they've talked about how they're now going to be shifting focus to franchise brand content and what that buzzword means is that they are going to be focusing more on characters that are planned to appear in film and on streaming services so a lot of the more experimental stuff you know like mr miracle um hawkman like characters that aren't you know justice league film worthy are going to see a decline when it comes to books about them. And that really worries me because DC has such a breadth of characters with interesting stories that don't get the same 
uh, treatment as, you know, the big three or even, you know, the Justice League. And so hearing that they're going to be focusing only on the characters that they can build franchises around um, is it's disconcerting. And I am really I'm I'm worried. I'm worried uh, that everything is going to kind of turn into this weird, like, cookie-cutter, like, oh, hey, you know, we're only going to be focusing on Batman books and Superman books and Wonder Woman books. And I enjoy books from all three, but if we don't get something like, a, you know, the question, the deaths of Z- Vic Sage every now and then, like, everything's going to start to feel really strangely similar and that's something I'm not a huge fan of um, they also canceled a bunch of comics um, I am we we do know that there are certain comics that were slated to already end stuff like Metal Men uh, Batman's Grave but there were comics that they announced cancellations for I think like the day after um, after that whole you know they keep calling it a bloodbath um, on Monday, and that was kind of like the warning shot for a lot of us um, in the comic community to be like, oh, so this is like a sign of things to come. Uh, the books that they canceled were Hawkman. Um, I've heard great things about Hawkman. I haven't personally, I'm not hugely invested in the character, but um, that was really uh, that was really unfortunate because from what I hear, the book's been really, really good so far. Um, Young Justice as well, which was surprising to me, seeing as how um, the Wonder Comics imprint has been more geared towards a young reader audience. And, you know, Bendis being their shiny new toy that they got a couple years ago, um, Young Justice surprised me. I will say I kind of fell off the book after issue 12 because it just turned into something that I wasn't really... um, didn't I didn't really agree with when it came to like the tone and the direction of the book, but it's still kind of surprising that they canceled that. And right alongside that, Teen Titans, Teen Titans got canceled as well, and that was hugely surprising because there's always been a Teen Titans book, maybe not always, but you know for the vast majority of uh, DC's history, especially you know since probably like the 60s and 70s, um, the Teen Titans have kind of been a mainstay just as much as like a Justice League book or a Batman book. Uh, They also canceled Suicide Squad, which is terrible. Um, Tom Taylor and uh, Bruno Redondo have been doing incredible work on Suicide Squad. And uh, for it to get kind of get cut out from under them sucks. Um, they're they've said on Twitter that they're very they're doing kind of the PC like oh you know we always intended it to be just you know like a maxi series, but I don't know if that's the truth. Um, it might just be them trying to make nice, but it's it's disappointing for sure. Uh, we also got word that John Constantine Hellblazer is getting canceled as well, which is unfortunate. Um, that one I think I could believe a little bit more for that to be a 12 issue, but I don't know. I don't trust it. And then finally, this one's unconfirmed right now, but Aquaman. Aquaman is in a weird state. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who came around the same time as uh, Bendis did and kind of took over the Aquaman book, I think has done a, as good a job as you can with that character. Um, but she has stated that at 
after her, I, I want to say it's issue 29. I might be wrong. I'm, I'm probably, I'm pro I probably have that wrong, but, um, that she will be leaving the book. And then the solicit for, uh, the last Aquaman issue does say it does mention a finale of some sort. So I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what the, uh, what the plan is for that typically when it's just like a, a creative team or a writer change they announce that you know months in advance or at least a month in advance um we saw this with flash we saw this with wonder woman so the fact that no creative team has been announced following that issue makes me think that that might be canceled as well uh jim lee has gone on to state that the uh the publishing line will be reduced by about 20 to 25%. So they might be losing a quarter of their entire publishing line, which I guess, I mean, if they're trying to save money, I, I get it. They've, the thing about that is, um, cause you know, we, we all have to do our own independent research when it comes to that stuff. Um, there's a lot of numbers going on and it was like, you know, if this was a, um, if this was a deal where they were actively losing money, I could kind of understand them doing shakeups like this, but they weren't losing money. They just, I guess, from the comic side, they weren't bringing in the money that Warner wanted, which is just... Ugh, it's, it's exhausting, just mentally and emotionally. But regardless, um, a lot of people have been kind of... Uh, linking this to the um, to the DC implosion of 1978, where um, sales were so bad at one point that they almost canceled Detective Comics, which is their most, you know, they're pretty much like their flagship. Um, I know Action Comics was the first, but Detective Comics is where DC gets its name from. So um, a lot of people were kind of making similar or drawing similarities to it um i and a few other people kind of agree that this is closer to like the big old i don't know if anyone remembers this um i was even too young at the time that it was happening but like i, I love looking into uh marvel history and stuff or just comic book history in general um marvel had a big push in uh, 1995 called the marvelution i don't know if anyone remembers that but the marvelution was this big drive for marvel comics where they left diamond see if that sounds familiar took their distribution in-house and boomed when it came to increasing their uh their uh, publishing line they greenlit a whole bunch of books that they were touting as like you know made in uh, made and distributed by Marvel. Like, this is the big, you know, we are Marvel. We don't need Diamond uh, distribution. And it was not even a year into this uh, that the marvel Cution happened, um, which, you know, you know is, is a buzzword that people love to use. People love their buzzwords. Um, but in 1996, they basically came back to Diamond with their tails between their legs and fired a bunch of editors and ha almost halved the publishing line. So a lot of people are making that comparison, which I think is a fair comparison. And if that's, you know, looking at that situation as anything to go by, um, Marvel didn't really get things turned around until like 2002, 2003, when they brought in, um, 
oh, who was it? Dan Buckley? I think it was Dan Buckley. Um, But yeah, like, it's... Oh, it makes me nervous that, you know, hey, you know, we're going through all of this stuff right now and we're not going to, you know, if we're, again, making comparisons to um, to that situation, the Marvelution slash Marvelcution, um, it's going to be at least a good seven years before we really start to see things turned around. And that is really frustrating and scary for a lot of comic book readers, myself included. So I'm worried... Um, you know, we do have to do our due diligence and say that uh, this kind of thing happens. This is, you know, a comic book industry. It's a business. Um, the 2000s had this as well. They had a tough time. Um, 2011 was really tough for Marvel. Uh, I think 2014 when the big, when the big, uh, I think it was 24, is that 2014 or 2015? It was one of those years um, where DC moved to Burbank when they moved across the country from New York to Burbank. That saw a bunch of layoffs as well, but um, I don't know. I'm worried. I'm, you know, trying to find positives when it comes to this stuff, but it is, uh, it's scary. Absolutely it is. And I will be keeping my ear close to the ground when it comes to that stuff, and I'll try and keep everybody else informed as well because... I love DC Comics. I've loved DC Comics since I was a little kid, and I will continue to love DC Comics. And I just, I want the best for them. So uh, we're going to shift gears here from all of this negativity because alongside all the negative stuff, something really exciting is happening. DC Fandom is coming this weekend as of this recording and uh they're touting a lot dc fandom is supposed to be basically this 24-hour streaming event you go on the website dcfandom.com you register uh you pick out your you know your schedule you make it's basically like a con they're doing their own virtual con um I think it's smart, especially now that, you know, cons aren't really happening, though I will say Comic-Con at home on YouTube did it first, Um, and everybody's kind of riding their coattails now, so good job, guys. Uh, (laughs) um, But DC Fandom is really exciting because they are promising a lot of big reveals, a a lot of big first looks, and a lot of information. A lot of follow-up from uh, where DC has been all year, so I'm looking forward to it. And here, I'm going to talk about five things that I'm very excited about for DC Fandom. Flying in the face of negativity, because if we don't do that, then we just... We live in a Zack Snyder movie. I said it. All right, we're moving on. So the first thing, and I've kind of like ranked these, I've got like five categories here that I'm really excited about, um, and I've kind of ranked them from um, most excited to still excited, but the least excited out of the group. And there's a lot going on. (laughs) It's a 24-hour event. It's going to be accessible for 24 hours. They have panels going throughout the entire time with encores. So if you you work on Saturday like I do, uh, you will still get a chance to view these panels as they come out. And of course, everyone's going to keep up with um, 
with posting stuff to YouTube about news, and I will, of course, be going through everything next week as part of our uh, part of our news segment. Next week's going to be a big week when it comes to news, but um, the first category that I'm really excited about to talk about is video games. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, at one point, the Arkham series was on top of the world. Uh, Rocksteady could do no wrong, and they are gearing up to give us a reveal and give us more information about... Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. We talked about it in the news segment, uh, Rocksteady Suicide Squad officially has a name, and it is Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, there's also talk that it might be similar in structure to uh, Marvel's uh, Avengers game, which is interesting, I think. Um but, you know, we don't have really any information about it so far, so we'll just have to see. But um, Rocksteady knows what they're doing when it comes to their uh, comic book uh, properties, so I'm really excited about it. And I'm also excited for WB Montreal. WB Games Mar- Montreal has a panel um, that is going to be teasing the next Batman game. And there have been teases all over the place for over a year now that this game will be dealing with the Court of Owls. Um, Scott Snyder has been brought in and has been a consulting story uh, lead on this game. Uh, We've seen, you know, the Capture the Night hashtag. We've seen different symbols and marketing and stuff um, earlier this week as well. uh, WB Games also launched another tease showing off a graphic that does you know, lend credence to it being about the Court of Owls. I love the Court of Owls. I think they're one of the best modern Batman rogues to be introduced. And I can't wait to see what they do with this. Um, It's kind of rumored, and I'm kind of hoping that it sticks with the Batman Gotham Knights um, um, title, but we'll just, we'll find out on Saturday. Uh, Next up, movies. Movies is the second uh, most thing I'm hyped for we've got a lot of stuff going on with that um the one that or the ones i guess i'm most excited about speaking of uh suicide squad with rocksteady is uh the suicide squad directed by james gunn we have gotten next to nothing about this movie besides a cast list and a poster um and a graphic i guess we don't even really have a poster it's just a graphic for the logo Um, So we are hoping, fingers crossed, for a lot of information on this. Uh, Casting announcements. Like, we know the cast, but we need to know who they're playing. Um, I'm still, you know, I still wait with bated breath on who Peter Capaldi, Idris Elba, and other other actors are going to be playing. Um, We'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. And we're also going to get the return of my boy, Captain Boomerang, the greatest member of the Suicide Squad of all time. Um, We're also going to be getting some more info on Wonder Woman 1984, which is going to come out in 2084, I'm assuming at this point, uh, with how how long it has been delayed for. Um, But I'm looking forward to seeing any new footage, um, kind of either backing up that it's going to, you know, go with that. I believe it's still November release date or not. I just want some concrete information. That's all I need. Uh, We're also going to be getting our first real dive into uh, the Batman. Matt Reeves is doing a panel at the very end of uh, DC Fandom. I believe it's only like a half hour, but 
we're hoping for some surprises. We're hoping some for some reveals, maybe some costume reveals for people other than Batman. Um, maybe some casting stuff. I think that they have one of the strongest casts so far, just from the from the uh, people announced. And I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what they have in store for DC fandom. And then finally, Black Adam. I'm really excited about. Um, we talked about it last week that, you know, the man in black is coming to DC fandom. And hopefully we're going to see a lot more than just, you know, a poster tease. Um, they do, there is a weird, like, um, unannounced or untitled panel, a secret panel that's going to be coming on after the, uh, Black Adam panel. So I don't know if that's going to get parlayed or if whether that's just like, it's a whatever, but, um, Black Adam news, I am really excited about. I think that this could be something that could help them turn things around, uh, especially when you have the charisma supernova that is rock the Dwayne Johnson I think you can really um I think this is one to look out for for sure especially because it has the JSA involved um next up we have comics and yes DC comics there are comics to be excited about um first off we're getting more information on three jokers which is coming in hot at the end of this month i'm really excited about it uh three jokers has been in the works for a very long time i know a lot of people do not like either the concept nor the um what we've gotten so far out of the three jokers but i'm still hyped for it and i will still be uh checking out this panel to see if they reveal anything uh we also have two comics uh that are going to be promoted during a panel with john ridley who was the uh, screenwriter for 12 years a slave they have been trying to get john ridley into dc comics for a very long time and he's going to be doing a panel promoting not just uh, his book that they've been trying to get on to DC forever, which is the other history of the DC universe. Uh, it's basically like an anthology series that covers some of the most historic moments in DC's uh, entire history, but through the eyes of characters like Black Lightning, more marginalized with less representation, and I think that's really exciting. But Jim Lee has also teased that John Ridley will be uh, tackling a Batman series. We don't know if he's going to be uh, Batman, like the Batman main series, whether it's going to be like a black label deal, whether it's just going to be a different like mini series or what. But look for that panel to get more information on that for sure. Uh, in fourth place, we have TV. Um, a lot of the TV stuff I think is going to be, you know, I, I looked over it and. As much as I want to be excited about that Black Lightning panel, it's just, it doesn't really seem like they're going to be introducing anything new. Um, just kind of talking about the previous season. Uh, and I think that's kind of the story for most of the DC TV uh, panels. But there are two that I will say I think might buck the trend and two that I'm very excited about. Uh, the first one being Superman and Lois. Superman and Lois is officially still happening and they have a panel and they're going to show off some stuff. I'm hoping for a new suit reveal for uh, Tyler Hoechlin's Superman. He needs a new suit. They've teased it. They've talked about it. We've seen both leaked and faked concept art. I just, I need to see that suit. Uh, we're also going to get information on the upcoming show, on their upcoming season, maybe some casting announcements. And I'm just, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to Superman being a mainstay on TV again. 
And then uh, finally in TV, uh, Batwoman. Batwoman is doing a panel with their brand spanking new Batwoman. And I can't be, I can't explain how excited I am about it. Um, They still haven't given us a whole lot of info about her. They haven't given us a whole lot of info about what season two is going to be. So I think this is going to be the panel to look out for both her first appearance, uh, maybe a reveal of the suit, um, and... uh, just general info on season two. So definitely look out for this one as well. And then finally, we do have uh, a premiere, a big premiere. Um, one that I'm really excited about. I'm nervous. I'm cautiously optimistic about this. That is that they're going to be premiering the first animated movie post the death of the DC animated film universe. That is Superman, Man of Tomorrow. And I'm, I'm nervous. I really want this to be good. I want this to be good. It looks interesting. Uh, the art style is really cool. I like the characters that they've brought in for this. I think the uh, voice cast is also really, really well casted. But I don't know. I don't trust them just yet with uh, the DC animated films again. They they burned me a little bit in recent years. So I'm going into this cautiously cautiously optimistic but they are doing like a full premiere of the entire movie so you can check that out and then they'll have a follow-up panel basically talking about the film with the cast so i think that's really cool overall dc fandom is going to be a big deal we've been waiting on this all year and it is finally almost here so i will definitely be checking that out and hopefully with the darkness of the uh of the Bloodbath Monday behind them and DC Fandom just around the corner. DC is heading up and towards a brighter future. We hope. It is now time for the return of the Wild Card Weekly Review. That's right, in between the surprising, I guess to me only, uh, finale of Doom Patrol and the debut of Season 2 of The Boys, uh, we've got some time to fill. We've got a couple weeks in between both shows, so each week between that, we will be reviewing a different piece of media for your listening pleasure. And this week, we're going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, something that I fell in love with, and that is Ghost of Tsushima. This is a game that I've been waiting for for a very long time. This is a game that I've been 
in love with since the very first reveal of this game from the just stunning trailer that showed off a samurai duel. I knew I was going to love this. I absolutely knew it. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it's good, guys. It's really, really freaking good. So where do I start with this? Um, the game is just, it's stunning. It is the uh, product of Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch pretty much known for games like the Infamous series, something that they have been, um, kind of put them on the map. Also Sly Cooper. Uh, Sucker Punch knows what they're doing when it comes to open world games. And for this one, they decided to tackle a historical drama. And not only was that a really risky choice for them, but it to also kind of be their swan song for the PlayStation 4, I think was a bold move. They rung in the PlayStation 4 with Infamous Second Son, and they got to see it off with the ghost of Tsushima. And for me as somebody, and I know I've been harping on this a lot lately, but I think it needs to be said, as someone who is an Asian American, I like when I see characters who I can identify with in my media, whether it's TV, whether it's um, film, whether it's video games, whatever. And getting a just incredible open world game tackling the Japanese invasion by the Mongols, just, oh, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. Now, Ghost of Tsushima is a uh, action-adventure, open-world RPG where you take the role of Jin Sakai, a former samurai who, after being completely demolished along with the other samurai on the beaches of uh, Tsushima, the island everyone lives on, um, has to take a role in winning the island back. And so he has to go up against the Mongols and their leader, Khotun Khan, and try to retake his home alongside the allies that he makes along the way. And what I love so much about this game is a lot of things. <laughs> but um, the biggest thing that I love is how much it gets you immersed in the world, whether it's the gameplay, the just buttery smooth combat uh, whether it's the visuals the game is one of the most visually stunning video games I've ever played much less just on the PlayStation 4 um, photo mode was made for a game like this and they knew it too because they uh, they hotkey that into your controller uh, you press the right um, you press right on the d-pad and it just instantly pops you into photo mode um, this game from the out, I knew was going to be incredible. As soon as I booted it up, I was ready. I knew it was going to be great. And lo and behold, it was great. Um, there's a lot that goes into the game. I'm going to try and tackle the things that I um, kind of stick out of my mind, the things that I really loved about it the most. Um, the visuals have to be talked about because this is a beautiful game from start to finish. Uh, there's three main sections of the game, three acts, and they are labeled that way as well. Um, but they're basically more or less sectioned off into three separate regions of the island of Tsushima. So you start at the southmost region and you work your way up to the north. And each uh, act is so well done that they could be 
games within themselves. You could have you could easily have a Ghost of Tsushima trilogy made out of the events of this game. Um, I don't know how that would work, but you could easily do that. And the visuals are a big part of that when it comes to how beautiful the island looks, all the different uh, weather patterns, the just the gorgeous cinematography that is just involved when it comes to the cutscenes. And one big thing that I think sets this apart, besides it being a, you know, a game with an Asian protagonist, um, is that this game really leans into its source material. It really leans into the samurai lore, and it really leans into the love of samurai filmmaking. Specifically, the most popularized version of that genre involving the one, the only, Kurosawa. Kurosawa is someone who a lot of people credit with uh, not just uplifting the samurai genre, but also kind of inspiring spaghetti westerns and really westerns as a whole. Um, his works, when we're talking about like, um, uh, there's so many, um, Seven Samurai, uh, Fist, uh, not Fistful of Dollars. That's the that's the remake. Uh, Yojimbo. All of these films that were iconic and really build up the samurai genre are homaged in some way in this game, and none more so than the actual uh, ability to turn this game onto a Kurosawa mode. Now the game comes with both English and Japanese uh, voice. Uh, voice casts um, I kind of I'll tell you I preferred to play it with the English voice cast I honestly probably would have played it with the Japanese voice cast but for some reason in a weird um, reversal of um, of the typical uh, the typical situation the lips for the characters uh, the characters in-game models are synced to the English voice acting. So when you put the Japanese voice acting on, and I don't know if this has been patched since I um, finished the game or not, but the uh, the lips don't sync to the Japanese voice cast. And that is such a small and petty thing to be bothered by, but it really bothered me. So um, I preferred to play with the English voice cast. Both casts are incredible. I tried... The, uh, the Japanese voice cast and Japanese voice cast is wonderful. If you're a weeb like me, you will recognize that the Japanese voice actor for Jin Sakai is also the Japanese voice actor for Roronoa Zoro. Why did I say that that way? My four kids almost showed, and I almost said Zolo. There's a throwback, four kids. Um, but Roronoa Zoro, um, his voice actor was almost is the... Uh, perfect choice to play Jin Sakai in the Japanese voice cast, and he does it so well. The entire cast does, um, and the English voice cast aren't aren't any slouches either. They're really really great. Uh, but the Kurosawa mode basically turns on the Japanese voice cast with English subtitles, but shifts the entire visuals of the game into a black and white film grain to mimic the old school Kurosawa films. And I freaking 
love it. I would turn it on every so often when I was running between areas just to see how it would affect it. And, you know, the film grain, the crackle that you, the audible crackle that you could hear, uh, the filter that went over anything that you could hear, um, making it feel like you were watching a film from that era is just, it's, it's wonderfully, wonderfully done. And it makes for an experience that you can tailor to your tastes and really get the most out of the world. Uh, the gameplay, I gotta talk about the gameplay. It is so good. I said it earlier, buttery smooth. Um, it does give you the option throughout the game to, to approach situations as either a samurai or as the ghost. And I really appreciate that kind of freedom. And that's something that we've seen before in Sucker Punch games, that ability to kind of choose how you approach a situation. But it is felt for me so much more in this game. Uh, there are so many times where I looked at a situation and I had to analyze it from afar and say, okay, do I think I can take everybody in a frontal assault? Or do I need to thin out the herd a little bit before I start to really jump in there and get my hands dirty? And being able to have that kind of freedom for every single encounter that you have in the game really ups the not just the replayability, but also it forces you to be a better gamer. And I know that sounds weird, but there is a tendency, I think, with a lot of games, especially open-world games, where you have so many options of what to do with stuff, but you get so comfortable with doing things one way that you never touch those specific, um, uh, those specific tools. And this game, it gives you a reason to check out every single piece of Jin's arsenal. Will you find stuff that you prefer? Absolutely. I found myself doing a lot more samurai gameplay than uh, ghost gameplay. That was just my preference because we get plenty of... Uh, stealth games, we don't get many samurai games, so that was something that I keyed into really quickly. Um, but I have talked to people who loved going the ghost path and just wiping out camp after camp without even being seen once. And I love that you get that freedom with the game to do what you want. Alongside that, you get these uh, customizable pieces of armor whether it's the Traveler's Cloak, whether it's the Ronin Attire, something that I loved and had on for most of the game, or any of the endgame uh, end attires. The, uh, the Ghost Armor is chef's kiss. It's so good. Um, but the ability to basically uh, customize your Jin when it comes to the armor that he's wearing, how upgraded that armor is, and the upgrading the armor does change it visually as well, which I appreciated. Um, you could choose what kind of headgear you have whether you wear a mask or not and it's so cool to be able to build up mix and match pieces use like armor dyes and armor shaders basically to match certain pieces from one armor set to another that it just it really does feel that you are making your own legend and you're really making your own character which I love I love the idea that you're able to personalize this game and there is something really cool about you know, going into a duel and the, you know, the cutscene kicks on and you get that visual of your Jin standing there with the wind blowing past. Uh, if you have a cape, if you don't have a cape, you know, you're able to also choose the cosmetics for your sword kit. There's just so much customization, but it's not overwhelming. You find these things organically or, you know, you 
do search around for them as well. But what I love is that you are able to find these things um, on your travels. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's no HUD. There's no mini-map. You find things by going to look for them. The power of curiosity is so ingrained into this game that you will be riding from one point to an, to like another main story point, and you'll see white smoke in the distance. And if you follow that white smoke, chances are you're going to find something, whether it's an enemy camp, whether it's a side quest, whether it's a, piece, a new piece of gear. You will find points of interest throughout the entire map and most of it you will come across just playing the game so i really really adored that um the gameplay itself you know being able to choose you know different um routes is also in itself customizable because if you go all ghost you can use your bow and arrow you can use uh darts you can use different things to wipe people out it never has to be the same encounter twice though i guess if you get comfortable with it you're totally allowed to uh but you really get to see the variance of gameplay when it comes to the samurai gameplay each enemy type and there are several is uh weak to a specific stance and with Jin, you learn along the way as you level up or i guess it really isn't technically leveling up but you're growing your legend um because there's no like strict leveling or anything like that but you're growing your legend you gain skill points and you can apply those points to your character when it comes to techniques uh strengthening certain things and whatnot but each um each stance you have basically corresponds to a different character so you use your stone stance to face off against uh enemies with swords you use your water stance to face off against enemies with spears so on and so forth and it's exhilarating it really is i know that's you know something that you hear in like ign says this game's gameplay is exhilarating but like it's true like being able to flip between stances on the fly dealing with you know upwards of eight nine ten enemies at once is really freaking cool and it makes you feel like you are in that situation the immersion is really great and it really helps to sell this game as not just you know a hack and slash but something that is a strategic battle of wills and i absolutely love that as you progress in the game you start to run into other um other former samurai who want to have duels with you i'm trying to be very cagey with my spoilers here because i want you to play this freaking game um but the duels are incredible and you get to put all of your expertise all of your upgrades all of your just um trial and error gameplay at the forefront and you get to really test your metal against these characters and it's just so much fun um the collectibles there's not a whole lot of collectibles uh i mean there are a lot of collectibles don't get me wrong it's an open world game that's huge but the collectibles that you find are usually fairly easy to find thanks to the mechanic of a yellow songbird if you are you know traveling the land and a yellow songbird comes up to you follow that yellow songbird and it will take you to um a point of interest for sure i love that mechanic it makes you again feel more immersed in the world and the and the idea that you know you don't have to keep checking a mini map to see where you are you just go where the wind takes you and that beautifully segues into the guiding wind the guiding wind is you know probably as close to like your cheat sheet as you can get when it comes to 
uh, traversal and navigation. You um, you swipe up on the, uh, the little touchpad and your um, your guiding wind, which is supposed to be the spirit of your father, um, you know, blows in a certain direction towards where you need to go next. And I really, again, I love that. It kicks up uh, all kinds of like leaves and just visually, again, it's so dynamic. Um, the story is so well done and well utilized. I think that it's one of the greatest uh, game stories that I've ever played. The roller coaster of emotions that you go on throughout this whole thing is so incredible. The stuff that you have to do as Jin Sakai um, is varying degrees of uh, heroic to uh, villainous and demonic and terrifying. Um, I love that the natural progression from Jin's uh, kind of stalwart samurai upbringing into taking more ghost-like tactics is inherently um, baked into the actual story. You get to watch as Jin starts to question his rigidity when it comes to sticking to, oh, I have to fight with honor regardless of whether it means I get killed for a dumb reason or not. And that kind of clash of cultures really takes the forefront near the end of the game, and I really love it. The characters are fantastic. Shout out to my boy Kenji, who uh, is a character who I absolutely adore. Um, Also Lady Adachi, who is just Batman. Uh, (laughs) And there have been lots of um, parallels that people have drawn to Jin Sakai's story to Batman, basically saying like, oh, this is a Batman game set in feudal Japan. And you know what? You're not wrong. You're absolutely right. But there are characters that um, are just so good. And it would be one thing if they were like, oh, this is like a carbon copy. There's your Alfred. There's your, you know, Batgirl and stuff like that. But the characters flesh out this story and they really make the story sing. Uh, Jin is initially found following the invasion of the Mongols by... by Yuna, and I love Yuna. She's fantastic. Uh, She's a great character with multiple layers. She has a really tragic backstory, and you get to see all of these characters grow and change and evolve over the course of the story, and it makes for an incredible, uh, just just an incredible um, experience overall. Uh, The story is also really good in that you don't have to do everything all at once. I found myself going stretches, long stretches of time, days, just rolling through side quests. And the side quests are episodic, but in the best way. Um, Every side quest, and I read the main quest as well, pretty much every quest starts and ends with like a little title card, which makes it feel like you're playing through... uh, a samurai uh, a samurai TV series. Every episode starts with a title. You know, you go through, or every quest starts with a title card. You go through the quest, and then at the end, the title card pops up again, which either gives you more context for why that quest has that particular title, or just kind of as a, all right, you can breathe. This is the end of this specific story. And I really, really dug that. Um, it felt like, you know, honestly something from my childhood, which was Samurai Jack, which every episode, while, you know, pushing a narrative forward, was also its own self-contained story. And I won't lie, 
once I found out that you could get a white die, I used the white die on the Ronin attire, and I lived my Samurai Jack fantasy for most of this game. So don't shy away from it if you like that. Live. Live with your Samurai Jack love. It's there, and it loves you. But overall, the game was just an incredible experience, a great way to just ring out the PlayStation 4 as we head into the PlayStation 5. And as we know from our news segment, we're going to be getting even more of this game with a Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer mode. I'm a little nervous, so we talked about it before, um... But making a co-op Ghost of Tsushima experience where, to me, it felt like Ghost of Tsushima was made and kind of tailored for a single-player experience makes me a little nervous. But I am excited nonetheless, and I'm really looking forward to putting all of that into practice. So uh, that is going to do it for this week's weekly review. This brand new edition of the Wildcard Weekly Review. Tune in next week for another Wildcard Weekly Review that I'm very excited about. And for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, um, it was tough, but I think the clear winner reading through everything was Green Lantern Earth One Volume 2 um, I know it might be a little obvious and it might be a little cheating because it's an OGN not really a weekly book but I really really enjoyed it I think the Green Lantern Earth One series just that that world that universe is really cool and there's a lot that they could do with it I think the addition of Yellow Lanterns, the concept of multiple realities, Quard, the whole deal, bringing in Jon Stewart, were all great choices. And I think that there's there are still some stories to tell there. So overall, great book. Really enjoyed it. The art was great. The story was fantastic. Bringing in you know, mainstay characters like Jon Stewart, like Sinestro, was really, really well done. And overall, like if they're looking for a way to adapt Green Lantern into film check out this series this is how you do it so yeah but that was last week let's talk about this week this week we've got four books for you two from marvel two from dc that i think you should definitely pick up and we are starting off with maestro number one of five written by peter david with art by german peralta i may have pronounced that incorrectly and i apologize but this is uh, a big one let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis then we'll talk about it The story you've waited decades for, the origin of Maestro. Almost 30 years after the landmark story Future Imperfect, legendary Incredible Hulk scribe Peter David returns to the far future version of the Hulk known as the Maestro, the master of what remains of the world. With astounding art from Hulk veteran Dale Keown and up-and-comer German Peralta, 
Maestro will answer questions that have haunted Hulk fans for years, and inspire some new ones. How did the world fall and the Maestro rise? What happened to the world's heroes in between? And where is the Hulk we know and love? Find out here. So that pretty much kind of says it all. Um... Future Imperfect was the story where basically Hulk went into the far future, found that uh, the future version of himself with this, this tyrannical dictator called the Maestro, fought him to death, came back, and all was copacetic. But um, Peter David is a just a titan in comics, uh, especially when you look at his run on Incredible Hulk. He's probably the most well-known Hulk writer Um if not of his era of all time. Uh, I think Al Ewing is doing an incredible job right now for modern Hulk, but kind of the bread and butter for most Hulk fans when it comes to comics is the Peter Peter Gabriel. That's not, he's not a comic writer. The Peter David run. Um, And this is really exciting, him coming back to the character to kind of tell the other, um, kind of complete the circle, as it were, to tell that story of the maestro. So I think that's really, really cool. Next up, we have DC Dark. I'm gonna, I want to get this right. We have DC Dark Knight's Death Metal Guidebook Number One. Um, this is. Let me pull up the list here. Written and illustrated by a few people. Uh, it's written by Joshua Williamson, James Tynan IV, Scott Snyder, Becky Cloonan, Chip Zdarsky, Christopher Priest, and Vita Ayala. With art by Doug Monkey, Carrie Randolph, Edward. Eduardo Riso, Dan Panosian, and Becky Cloonan. And this is essentially the follow-up, kind of like an anthology series for uh, for Death Metal. This is kind of your world of Dark Knight's Death Metal. Um, so let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis. Earth is turned upside down, shrouded in a realm of darkness after the Justice League's defeat by the cosmic goddess Perpetua. Now, the Batman who laughs and his army of dark knights rule the planet, wreaking havoc on humanity and raining destruction on the world. As Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, and other heroes fight to survive in this strange new landscape, One cloaked figure has been observing from the sidelines, creating a guidebook to this new world and its evil leaders in the hope of forming a plan of justice and penance. This issue showcases the new factions of Earth and explores the mystery of what happened to our heroes after their battle with Perpetua. How did Wonder Woman become the Queen of Hell? How did Batman find the Black Lantern Ring? And what happens when Harley Quinn takes charge of the Wasteland and finds love in the process? All this and more in this jam issue exploring the New World Order. I think that I think it's supposed to be jam-packed, but it's jam issue. Weird. Uh, but yeah, so this is basically going to be kind of your uh, supplementary material for Death Metal. I'm excited about it. I like world building, as you know. I'm a huge lore chaser, and I love really good world building. And Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are really good at doing that, at building out their world kind of um, 
building in lore to their story. So I really like that. Um, I think there's a bunch of potential here. I would like to know what happened when they faced off with Perpetua and how that, you know, kind of led into Dark Knight's Death Metal. So definitely pick this up, especially if you've been enjoying Death Metal so far, because this is just going to enhance that reading experience. Next up, we have Thor number six, written by Donny Cates with art by Nick Klein. Uh, This book's been great. This book's been really, really good so far. The reveal, uh, last issue, that the Black Winter is not just a not just an event, but an entity, and that Galactus used to be a herald himself was a huge deal. Um, and I, I just, I've been really loving it. I didn't know how I was going to feel about this new run when they initially made the transition from Jason Aaron to Donnie Cates, but he is swinging for the fences here, and that has to be admired regardless of how you feel about the book so far. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Death of King Thor, the Black Winter, has the power to reveal the means of any person's demise, and if the vision is true... Asgard is going to need a new Odinson to take the throne, but Thor is no mere herald or king, and even the death of all existence should fear his coming wrath. So, yeah, that pretty much says what it needs to say. Um, Black Winter's coming, it's here. Um, We're going to see how Thor deals with it. Um, I'm interested in this this big splash of the death of King Thor. Um, Last time we saw King Thor was, you know, in Jason Aaron's King Thor uh, mini. So we'll see if they're referring to that King Thor, if they're referring to just Thor as he is now, since he technically is still the King of Asgard. But um, this, I think, is going to be a big turning point for the book and for the character. So definitely pick this up if you've been following it. Next up, the big book of the week, the book I think you should definitely be picking up, is Batman number 97, Joker War Part 3. Written by James Tynan IV with art by George Jimenez. Uh, The book's been great. Joker War is a bombastic event that is going to be shaking the foundations of Batman for years to come, and the book has been just knocking it out of the park every issue. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Joker's army is growing hour by hour, and weapons beyond anything the Clown Prince of Crime has ever used before. Batman must hold his mind together so he can strike the final blow and take back his city. But how can he heal the rifts he's created in his life to get the help he needs? And while all this is happening, the villains of Gotham City are waiting out the carnage Joker has unleashed, and Catwoman assembles an army of her own. So it looks like this is going to be kind of the turning point for Joker War, where uh, Catwoman might get Batman the army he needs, because that's what he needs right now. Joker has his own army, so Batman needs an army of his own to fight back. Like I said, the book's been really strong so far. The art has been gorgeous. George Jimenez introducing new characters like uh, Punchline, Clown Hunter, and now we know there's another one... um, Ghostmaker, I think is his name. Um, all of the art has been gorgeous. The story has been really engaging, and I can't wait to pick this book up. So that's it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Maestro, number one of five, Dark Knight's Death Metal Guidebook, number one, Thor, number six, and Batman, number 97, Joker War, part three. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. And of course, give us a rating and review. Let me know how I did on this. Especially on iTunes, if you do give us a five-star rating and review, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can enjoy the likes of Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper. So thank you to all of them for dropping rating and review views on apple podcasts i really do appreciate it it helps us out it kind of rises up our stock in the podcasting realm and gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you and also if you have uh, any questions for me if you'd like me to read anything on the podcast please feel free to join our geek explained mailbag by uh, sending your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com i love getting stuff from you guys i read everything that you send and i truly do appreciate it because honestly this is a podcast for geeks by geeks and i really want to i love having conversations with you guys i love having conversations about comics and film and all of that stuff so definitely send those in if you would like those read out on the podcast and that is going to do it for this week's episode um dc comics is in a weird place right now so um I've got my fingers crossed. I'm really looking forward to uh, DC Fandom. Hopefully it's going to be good. I'm really excited about it, but also really nervous because they've got a big shadow that they have to come out from under with this event. So uh, let me know what you are most excited to uh, see at DC Fandom. We've got a lot to be excited about. Feel free to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, where you can catch up and keep updated with all the happenings with the podcast. And also, we can chat about what you're most excited about to see for DC Fandom. I've got my eye on the uh, gaming stuff, for sure. I mean, really all of it. We talked about it. But I'm really interested to see what this Court of Owls game looks like, and also Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Uh, We'll see exactly what goes on. So um, definitely look forward to our big, I'm sure, giant size news segment next week. Um, we've got a pretty exciting episode, actually, next week. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a really fun conversation that I can't wait for you all to hear. So tune in next week for that on a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Kazana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.